1: Hello, everybody, and welcome back to this week's episode. Gosh, we have been so lucky this year with these great interviews that we've been able to do, and this is another one. So this week, we got to sit down with Danielle Bins. She's a certified nutritionist who specializes in picky eating and helping moms be their healthier and happier selves. She's incredibly passionate about providing the best natural and holistic solutions for other moms and babies, and she's a mom of three.
0: You also get to learn about what brought her down this path all on the podcast. We were able to ask some questions and she answered some of the questions that we got from the group as well. Pam and I walked away from this episode just feeling so great about all the information she shared. So have a listen and let us know what you think. Subscribe to our podcast for more of these episodes.
1: Hello and welcome everybody. Welcome back to this week's episode of All Things Sleep and Parenting podcast. And this week I have with me as always Elisa. Hi. And a super special guest, Danielle Benz. Hello. Hello. Thank you so much for joining us. So you guys, Danielle is, oh my gosh, she is amazing. She knows everything about everything, about everything that comes with children, and picky eating, I was fortunate enough to um, actually attend one of Danielle's, uh, I guess it was like a conference?
2: Yeah, it was a, yeah, it was, um, yeah, a conference. (laughs) Yeah, conference is a good idea. Good word. And I got
1: to spend three days with her just like taking in all of her super awesome knowledge and drowning
2: you in our fire hose of information (laughs) no I
1: loved it it was so much fun it was a really great and full of information packed full of information it was incredible so um what we are sitting down today to talk about with Danielle Benz is picky eating the start of picky eating she's going to share some tips she's got some great resources but before we jump in Danielle I'd love if you could tell us a little bit about yourself um, what led you to where you are today and the work that you're doing? You have a great story.
2: I'm excited to hear it again. <laughs> um, thanks for that intro, Pam. By the way, you were one of my favorite students. <laughs> wink, wink. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so um, so how did it, you know, it's interesting. So I've always loved nutrition. I've, I'm a foodie. I blame it on my Italian heritage. And so it started with um, my husband kind of giving me the nudge to go to nutrition school. And I thought I was going to go for you know, just general health PCOS at the time, actually, because I had overcome that and fertility because I couldn't get pregnant because of PCOS. And then I got pregnant and had issues with my daughter during school with feeding and she was failure to thrive, um, had a heart defect, had to have surgery at four months of age, was supposed to get a feeding tube, got a genetic, diagnosed with a genetic condition, which is essentially a form of primordial dwarfism. So it was just like, bang, bang, bang. And it was literally the worst, hardest year of my life. And I hate saying that, you know, as a new mom, we should relish it it's all about cuddles and coos. And it was definitely not for me. So, um, so I had to put my nutrition, uh, schooling on the side while I was also working for Microsoft full-time and, uh, it was, I at that point um, I felt really lost because there was nobody really that supported it. I was like, I just want to talk to a parent who gets this and knows what I'm going through. And all of my friends were so wonderful, but they all had kids who ate. And, um, and so I really felt alone in it. And I actually remember going to, um, we started going to a conference in Chicago for my daughter's condition. They're for kids who just don't eat well and kids who are, are struggle with growth. And I remember standing at the back of the room crying, saying like, why won't some kids eat? Like, why is my daughter having a blueberry and saying she's full? And why is she below the zero percentile and lethargic and all the things, right? And so, and they're like, you know, we can't tell you, we don't, we don't know. And so I just, again, even at a medical conference, I didn't, couldn't get answers. And so then I started studying just children, how children eat. And I started getting certifications and things like the SOS approach to feeding, um, you know, started selling, uh, studying the Ellen Sater method, just talking to a various number of experts in the, in the field of, of children's health and, and eating. And what I learned is that what, you know, we focus so much on the what So what do we feel? I need to get my kids to eat more protein. I need to to be eating broccoli, but we don't talk about the how. And I would argue that that's actually more critical than the what, because we all know our kids need to be eating vegetables, but you can put all the broccoli and the rainbow foods in front of them, but they're not going to eat it. Then you're no further ahead. So I, yeah. So then I started to apply kind of my own version of the various things that I learned through my research and started to apply them with my daughter, very, uncertain and reluctant because she was set up to get a feeding tube she was they said you know what if things continue like this she will have to get a g-tube and so there's a lot of pressure for me of course what i want to do is continue feeding chasing her around the room feeding with a spoon and you know pushing her to eat one more bite just one more bite you need to take in this last bite please just take it all the things yeah the famous one one more bite or (laughs) you know or the bribing with dessert right we've all done it so anyways, um, you know, applied to skip ahead, applied the, the pro- this protocol with her and she started to change. And it, the doctors were even asking me, you know, what are you doing differently? And the dietitian in the room was taking notes. Um, and, you know, skip ahead a couple years later, I'm now presenting at the conference that I stood at the back of the room, asking the question you know, telling them how to do it. And, you know, why she's done a complete 180 and is now one of the most adventurous kids, you know, at the table. Uh, she out eats me and trust me, I've got a big appetite. (laughs) So, so, you know, I, just to say, you know, I, I, the, the story is really, I hope, you know, for parents, whether that they have, you know, they have a problem eater or child, they're like, there is no hope. It feels like it's just been a struggle and you just can't see the light. Like there is a light It sometimes it's just, it's a longer path. It's more of a windy path, a few dead ends and you back up and go to, you know, it's not a perfect linear process. Uh, but you can definitely get there because, you know, we have a genetic condition we're fighting against here. And so, you know, people say, Oh, it's genetic. It's, you know, it's, that's my kind of, you know, I don't want to say excuse, but that's what I was using. I was like, you know what, this is, this is what we're dealing with. And so mm-hmm. you know, feeling sad for ourselves, but you actually can turn things around. So yeah, so that's how it happened. <laughs> it's amazing. Gosh, I, I mean, that
1: sounds like a lot um, <laughs> through that first year, for sure. Those first few years, I'm sure. And one of the things, Danielle, that I loved about and why I took, uh, went to your conference was because uh, I liked your your multi-step approach. It wasn't a, here's the food, sit down, eat. That's all there is to it. It, right. it, it is taking steps. And that's one thing that Elisa and I do with all things that we're working with, whether it's sleep or fears or anything, it's we're taking those steps. We're helping the children become uh, confident with each step that, that we're taking. And that's what I loved about your approach yeah. when it came to picky eating and, and just helping our little ones uh, like yours gain weight and and become more adventurous with their food. So we're talking about picky eating. Can you break down what is a picky eater? What's the definition of a picky eater? Because, you know, I've had children who um, will, you know, sometimes I don't want this and sometimes I
2: don't want this, but I wouldn't really classify that as picky eaters. Right. Right. Yeah, for sure. You know, it's, it's a great question. And when, you know, people take my, my course, it's called the picky eater protocol. It's one of the first things we do because you kind of need to understand like what is driving the picky eating behavior. And there's every, every, I use that term loosely, but child goes through a phase of developmental picky eating typically around the ages it varies but like 12 months 18 months to I've seen up yeah. to three years where it starts and part of that is really driven by control right as you guys see in parenting right like <laughs> control those three natures <laughs> <laughs> right they just want it can food is one of the only things they can control and mm-hmm. that's where you see the power struggle develop but um, But then there's also kids who, and by the way, that, that phase typically kind of starts to wane over time if parents are using the right strategies, but what happens is parents freak out. Their kids are no longer eating. Like for me, I I saw that with, you know, my second and third daughter it's, oh, they're no longer eating the sweet potatoes. I'm not going to stop serving it because it feels like it's yes. wasted food or I'm, they're not, she's not liking broccoli all of a sudden, what happens? So then you just stop making it as much. You're like, wait a second. I'm like, you know, she's got me in my own little web here. I, I know what to do. And so it, it really, our approach, parents approach when those picky eating behaviors start to surface, knowing what to do so that it doesn't snowball because the research yes. shows that one in four children do continue to be picky into their adult years. That's a big number, right? That's like, yeah, and so it's, um, and currently about 46 to, they're now they're seeing the numbers growing, 46 plus percent of children exhibit picky eating behaviors. So if enough parents are scared and responding in the inappropriate way, that behavior continues. And so it then becomes a general preference at that time becomes a habit Mm -hmm. and becomes a prolonged behavior. So to describe, to answer your question now, um, is that picky eating has a couple different definitions. So your, um, your picky eater would have, you know, let's say like less than 30 foods. Um, they would kind of be, um, they prefer, they have a preference for certain food categories, right? They are, but they also, they will drop foods and then start to eat them again, right? So like they call, it's called a food jag where they get sick of the food and like, I don't want broccoli anymore. Or I don't want yogurt or whatever it is. And then, then it comes back. Whereas like the problem eater, they have less than 20 foods. They tend to eat by themselves. There's a lot of anxiety around food. There's a lot of like tears at the table and you just sense that like something is off, right? There's a difference between my current three-nager right now who decides, you know, she'd like something one day and then not the other Mm -hmm. um, and having a meltdown. That's different from a problem feeder who is melting down because they legitimately cannot handle the food in front of them for one reason or another. It might be sensory, it might be oral motor. They tend to write off entire categories of food, like no protein whatsoever, right? Um, or like no meat protein, or no vegetables. I was, just, I was working with a client this morning. The child has no fruit and no vegetables at all on the list, right? Um, they, uh, um, what other things would I say? There's tends to be, there's likely like a medical issue that's underlying. Okay. So there is that. As you can see, that range, like the number of food starts to drop as it gets mm-hmm. more severe. But I love for parents like write down how many kid foods their kids eat, and that kind of gives them that initial kind of uh, sense of relief usually, because they know okay my child at least has more than twenty or thirty foods, so I know we're not in that that space. Yeah, so that's my next kind of question is that is when i like that
1: write it down because that's i mean that's one of the biggest things that we always say write it down and track it because Mm. it our our internal dialogue can get Mm. away from us sometimes and we're like oh my gosh they're not eating we haven't eaten in like six days but then when you like sit down and write you're like okay well you had six crackers here and you had a yogurt too and you had four blueberries here and you had right so you're starting to kind of write that down and you're starting to see and take into account what is actually going into their body um so that is really i really like that that's a great tip but um, that 20 to 30 food so is that when families like if they take that note and then they're like okay we're in that like 25 just at that 30 range or 32 range is that when they should start to like okay what kind of strategies could I be doing differently um, and then under if they are under that 20 foods is that where we're like okay on with you right
2: away like what's that yeah like, that, where do we that. where do we kind of divide our concerns Yeah, you know it's interesting, right? Because it's not just about the number of foods, because first of all, it could be miscalculated, right? Yeah, that's true. Um, Depending on how they're how they're counting foods, but then also for me, it's more about like where are the parents at in terms of concern, or the or even their medical professionals, like what are they Mm -hmm. saying? combination of both so if a parent is concerned that's when you kind of need to start reaching out for help because it does like mental health we don't need another thing influencing our mental health right now and so that is one of the first things i do with families is we figure out is this actually a problem and if it is here's what we do and if it's not here's what we do because ultimately, for the parent who has just a, a developmental picky eater but is really stressed about it, they need just as much help um, and support and guidance as a, um, a parent of a problem eater but doesn't see it as much of a you know an issue. Um, because ultimately, to be honest, and I'm sure you guys would say the same thing is, is from the, you know, in terms of the work you do, it's so much more powerful for a parent to have a plan, whether it's with sleep in advance, right? We all are so reactive to an issue, but if imagine if we had the strategies in advance, right? So when I had my second and third child eating was a breeze, mind you, I didn't Mm -hmm. have medical issues to deal with, but I still dealt with all the things, even sleep right? You know what to do in advance because you've done it once, even though you are sleep deprived and you kind of forget it and you need a refresher. <laughs> but um, having the plan beforehand, it really does set you up for success. So, you know, to answer your question, Pam, it really is, um, it, it depends on whether the parent feels like they can benefit from having a step-by-step approach to to get to a point where, you know, we all want our kids to be eating more whatever it is protein or vegetables mm-hmm. whatnot now but what i'm actually more concerned about what i kind of secretly do as i'm working with families is make sure that i'm giving them the strategies the child is going to grow up to have a healthy and positive relationship with food so there's a there's this increasing you know uh, um um what's the word i'm looking for you're seeing more uh eating issues, eating disorders with kids, like obesity, all of, and it's not even just obesity, also eating disorders, the other direction. Right. So we just want to get away from that. And what we do and what we say right now, it does influence how kids eat later in life. So, Yeah, yeah. And
0: I love how you said that because it really having that support as a parent, whether your child is really, really struggling with food or, perhaps not struggling that much, but you just want to have that plan and then some, someone to support you along the way.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Right. right. Listen, we it <laughs> we really doesn't. get enough
0: support as a parent
1: right now. So any little bit that we can get and if in any area that we're
2: feeling overwhelmed with. Yeah, definitely. You know, it, it's so amazing to see so many like people that are supporting parents in different capacities because it really does. It, it just—it's t- one less thing they have to worry about, right? Whereas it, we're trying to solve it ourselves. It's just—it's all consuming, and you can't be rational, but you can't be neutral. You're very much—you're the parent, and you care, right? <laughs> the and so, second guessing is real. Awesome. Oh yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Second, third guessing. And then, you know what I I actually just wrote a blog post on this about consistency because parents will try a strategy for a bit. Oh, it's not working after a week. I'm going to try this one kind of flip-flop. And then the child gets confused. The parents like losing it because they can't remember where they were, what they've tried and and, um, and then it's just, it just, it just helps to have that vision of where you're going forward and have somebody that's neutral and has 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 been through this both personally and professionally lots and lots thousands of times to mm-hmm. know how to guide you. It's just that, that added layer of like comfort for families. Like, yeah. Uh, and we always say too, with our sleep, it's that having that outside
1: person looking in and saying, here's the big picture and here's what I can see. And you're in, in this when you're...
0: fog right now, but yeah. I can see in and yeah. Yeah, I yeah, have yeah, totally. a lot of experience with this. Yes, for sure. Yeah, definitely. (laughs) I love that. So when it comes to picky eating, are there one or two tips that you can offer for our families that they can implement almost right away that can help see a little bit of a difference with their children's struggles?
2: Yeah, gosh, there are so many. And um, it's, you know, I was like, you know, I, you know, like, do I pick a different one? Cause I feel like I want, it. but ultimately it's like one of the biggest things you can do to start. If, if you're not at a point where you can say, I like, I love sitting down with my family and eating dinner. And you need to get to a point where you can say that because as much as soon as you start to resent um or uh, you know feel frustrated even before the meal starts you start to dread it like we we can't we've got to change that dynamic because kids sense our stress right even a newborn Absolutely. baby can sense their mother's stress and their heart rate increases just by being in their mother's arms like if that can happen for an infant then <laughs> imagine what our kids you know can what happens with them when they just see the expression on our face even the tone in our voice like it it sets the tone for the meal and I always talk about like the vicious cycle of um of mealtimes so we go in with expectation of this is gonna be a crappy meal they're not gonna eat here we go and I'm gonna be worried about whether they even not just like stressed over making their a food, a kid-friendly recipe that I hope they like. Um, so then our kids sense that we're already frustrated. Then they go into fight, flight, or freeze mode, right? Because our body can't yep. distinguish between emotional and physical stress. And so they're being chased by this fictitious saber-toothed tiger. They don't want to eat because who the heck wants to eat when you're adrenaline or when you when you feel stressed? And then they don't eat and the mom and dad are more stressed, right? So just like, this is the cycle that keeps going. We need to break that cycle and start with creating um, a positive environment in whichever way that looks for you. For some people, it's like having a candlelight dinner or, or like, it's, it can be so simple. It can even just be changing your tone. And a lot of times it's about how we're approaching the, um, what we're saying at the table. Right. And we talked mm-hmm. to at like, the beginning about, it's not about the what it's about the how. So just think about from your, put yourself in your child's shoes. Like would i be happy sitting here right now would I, you know, and even parents struggle, they can't get their child to the table. If you can't get your child to come sit at the table, then how in the heck are they going to learn to like new foods? Because they're not even seeing them, right? Mm -hmm. So that's why the enjoyment aspect and the positive positive vibe at the table is so crucial. So that's definitely a big one. Such a huge difference. That's one of the things that we talk
1: about often too, is like that pressure as well. And that internal dialogue, I, I, for me, that That for our parents is a big one because we have control of our internal dialogue. And as moms, we will spiral if we allow it, right? So, oh, this is going to be another meal and this is just going to be awful and I'm not going to be able to do this and they're going to start crying and everybody's going to be miserable. Like, and that's right. So that's that internal dialogue. So like Danielle said, taking that and trying to spin that, trying to change that. Okay, we're going to do something fun and exciting. We're going to get the kids on board, like really trying to change that internal dialogue so that you're coming into that meal time light and happy and airy versus dreading it and miserable and overwhelmed and already on the brink of tears because then that's just going to guarantee everyone's in tears by the end of the meal
2: yeah yeah and you think about they don't we don't just eat once a day right like we're eating or once a week it's like multiple times a week and sometimes multiple times a day right it's Mm -hmm. just
1: like
2: come out of one meal you're stressed because they didn't you know they're eating the same breakfast over and over again now you got to serve lunch And they're probably not going to eat it. Or what do you make? Is it mac and cheese again? Now I'm worried about their nutrition. And it's just like all day, just this gray Mm -hmm. cloud that hangs over parents. Uh, Yeah.
0: We can can talk ourselves into so much. Mm
2: -hmm. Yeah,
0: right? We can.
2: (laughs) Yeah, we're amazing (laughs) that way. motherhood. (laughs) Yeah.
1: (laughs) So we did get a couple of questions in the group. Elisa's going to summarize them,
0: um, if that's okay with you. Yeah, of course. Okay. Let's do it. Okay, so the one was about um a special needs child with some communication challenges mm-hmm. and the mom was saying that this child used to eat everything and now it's a struggle and everything put in front of them
2: um equals a meltdown. I think you said the child was 3, did you say that? 3. Yes. Three, okay. Yes. Okay, I remember if I was three. Okay, got it. Um so, you know, as a mother of a would I say a three (laughs) major? Um, I get the, I get the struggles. that just come with that age in general, right? There's a sense of independence, like no weather uh, and eating is one of the only things that kids control at that age. So I totally feel your pain on that. And then you've got this other layer of, you know, communication struggles and, um, and, and delays, I think you had mentioned. So, you know. It's um, it's tough enough for just your average three year old to communicate what they want, mm-hmm. right? Or they think they know what they want, and then you serve it, and then that's not how you <laughs> how they wanted the pasta or whatever, right? So you want to um, as much as possible, like empathize with your child and try to be really neutral. And as much as you want to kind of freak out because you're like, oh my gosh, you just this has been going on for so long, you really want to try and um, I hate the term kill them with kindness, but like it is so appropriate with this stuff. Like when the moments when you want to, you feel like your blood is boiling and you, you're you really frustrated, try to approach it from a very like calming perspective. Because the more you can be calm, your child can be calm and they'll do a better job with articulating. But um, ultimately where it really comes down to is eating is a highly sensory experience. It's one of the only things we do that requires all the sensory systems. And so you almost think about sensory system as a muscle. And so if you wanted to make your bicep stronger, you would do more bicep curls. Well, if you want your child's sensory system to be more, adapt to, to accepting uh, different foods, then well, we need to give them the opportunity to experience foods in, in a, a more playful way. And I, when I say playful, I don't mean throwing spaghetti on the wall. It's like, <laughs> you don't mean a food fight? No, as much as that would be fun. I, I don't want to clean up after it. It's
1: fun for everybody in the moment, but yeah. Yeah, <laughs> no
2: exactly. Thanks. So I really encourage in my work, um, you know, giving kids the opportunity to explore food, using their senses. And parents sometimes have to have a really hard time understanding like what that looks like. And so one night, I remember it was like 11 p.m. I don't recommend staying up that late and working, <laughs> FYI. <laughs> um, one reason or another, I couldn't sleep. And so I just started using sticky notes trying to think, about, okay, how do I take this, the control out of the parent's hands and put it in the child's hands? So I actually ended up creating this like this mealtime tool, food exploration tool, a couple of years ago. And I just said, you know what, I'm just going to put this out there and just see what people think just to get some feedback sold, you know, but a hundred at first. And then just the feedback was so amazing. The transformations that parents were experiencing just from a piece of paper. Well, I'm totally not giving it credit. Yeah, deserve, no, it wasn't just a piece, oh, it of is paper. More than a piece of paper, okay. <laughs> yeah. Lisa
1: and I actually signed up for it. And this is what actually, uh, that was our, my first introduction to you was this placemat. Okay. i had seen it go around. And again, I loved your approach. So I was like, this is genius. Um, so we got on the, I, I think we you had like a wait list before it was gonna be printed or something. Um, so we had done that actually because uh, oh, that's did. how excited I was about that <laughs> I just thought it was such a, a smart way of getting to them and exactly like you said taking the control out of mom and dad's hands this is the same thing we talk about with toilet training as well right mm. set a timer to remind them so that it's not coming from you it doesn't matter that it's it's just that external which is exactly like that place mat.
2: Yeah, for sure. Well, thank you guys for validating that <laughs> it started out as a paper piece Now it's actually it just launched something called the Curious Cookie Placement. I know like I guess you could, could take a screenshot <laughs> of oh, I could, yeah. Yeah, so I'll let you guys do that. But so for those of you who can't see, but there's um it's a laminated, it's a it's a it's basically a placemat that allows kids, it takes them on a food journey and uh, where they go to Appearance Town and Textureville and Smell Town and so on that is encouraging them to look at foods differently through a different lens, right? If they look at food as though it's a toy, then it becomes less scary, right? And one thing we haven't mm-hmm. talked about yet is something called food neophobia, which for, you know, the three year olds you're talking about here would likely be going through maybe an element of that it usually starts a little bit younger like 18 months three years it, it is a gen it's, it's um it's a fear of food that uh is a basically a way to prevent prevent um us from poisoning ourselves so it's actually protective but it actually goes on for too long and it becomes incredibly frustrating so what the the mat does is actually allows kids to um to explore foods and their sensory properties in a really fun way that they feel they control because they get to go along and check the boxes. Is this sweet or salty? Is this, you know, smoother, um, rough, and also they're learning at the same time. So it's great for a three-year-old who's just developing that vocabulary. And so by the end, they feel the sense of accomplishment because, you know, for any child giving them an opportunity to feel successful at the table is so key. If they feel like success, that only equals eating or eating only equals success, then they will have a harder time coming to the table. And for this three-year-old, will feel very frustrated because they feel like mom and dad will only be happy if I eat this food. So yeah, you know, for the three-year-old to be able to have the sense of control is so amazing. And so this the mat really does remove that. So that's one thing I would recommend. If it's not this curious cookie place mat, then it's you know, using just kind of think of like helping your child become a food scientist and ask them those questions around foods to get them exploring, because the more likely they are, they're more comfortable they are with the way the food smells, feels, um, looks, the more likely they are to put it in their mouth. So that is one thing I would focus on is one is the just the positivity of meals, making sure it's stress free and a fun place to be. And then the other is giving your child the opportunity to interact with foods in a fun way.
0: And and recognizing as well that those little pieces of the puzzle, like touching it and feeling it and becoming Mm -hmm. comfortable is a part of the process and that's going to help them feel more comfortable around the food and feel
1: confident coming to the table to eat and and that's our biggest thing is we want to build our children's confidence in what they can do and Mm -hmm. and what you said with you know the not focusing on the food being the success because they they like us they internalize things and we don't want them to associate that i'm only doing a good job if i'm eating right we want them to feel that confidence that I can come to the table and I don't have to eat everything I can still come to the table and enjoy the family and be part of it and it doesn't have to be this awful stressful you know everybody ends up in tears
2: yeah for sure no for sure it's uh it's interesting right how different like whether whatever you're parenting like you're working on parenting it is a lot of the same approach Mm -hmm. right um yeah
0: And the other question that we had was very
2: similar in,
0: well, in a way that this child was not eating a lot of vegetables or, you know, maybe had three vegetables that they were eating. And it sounds like, sounds like the mom of the the other question does have a lot of those healthy eating habits in place. um, But it's just, she can't get past this three, not eating more (laughs) than three vegetables. But I think that placement would be a really, really good next step for that parent as well. Yeah, for sure. You
2: know, it is it is such a great way of starting this process without a huge investment, right? Mm-hmm. Because ultimately, of course, I would love to support people one on one as much as possible because that's that personalization and customization is um, a, a plan planning for parents, giving them a kind of a step by step plan that works for them. Because it's not cookie cutter, just like you mm-hmm. know, if there's no diet that's perfect for everybody. There's also no picky eater protocol that's perfect for everybody. There is there are some like adjustments. Sleep. <laughs> Yeah. Right. It's depending on the child's like, yeah, behavior, their age, or so many other factors, like whether are medical issues and not. Um, But the placement is a great, like low cost way of just, of getting your child in in, looking at food from a different lens and then you not having to do all the work. Right. Mm -hmm. Because usually it's like the parents like, oh my God, I don't have I, I just can't do all this. I can't think about like new recipes I want to make. And then once they don't eat it and, and then yeah, I'm trying this and, uh, then we're playing this game and like, it's just a parent feels like they've got so much on their mind, but the place just does it for you. So, um, and yeah, puts the control in the hands of the child. So then you can just step away for that five, 10 minutes and sometimes longer because they have way too much fun with fun with it. And that's when, you know, it's really working is when, Parents start to or kids start to run to the counter and be like, I want to do the food game, right? Aww. Um, that's when you know that you're you're doing something right there. So love it. Yeah, but you know, with the vegetables thing, the thing to note about vegetables is that they are um so actually there are some studies done with with uh with children and they were able to dictate based on their genome or genetic makeup whether they would be turned off um or enjoy uh, vegetables like broccoli because of the bitter compound. So in some ways it can be genetic, but I also want you to know, again, going back to, you know, my personal story, genetics does not dictate, you know, the, you know, where you're going to be. So even though a child may have uh, a stronger sense of taste or, or maybe resistance to those bitter foods, that can change over time, but you, we need to be able to doing, doing the work now to help that change faster and also get them those experiences. So that like, for example, I never, I don't know about you guys, but I never liked, you know, um, wine. <laughs> like when I first tried it, I remember my grandparents <laughs> drinking wine. Was like, this is disgusting. Right. But you know, I was, it, I it, was
0: given wine as a child, just <laughs> as like a sip here and there. I also
2: have Italian background. Italian, um, Italian.
0: And yeah, like I love it now.
2: (laughs) For sure, right. Even coffee. Now I'm not a coffee drinker. I actually like coffee. I've just never drank it. I don't, I think because I'm so high energy, I'd be bouncing off the walls. But, um, but same thing, right? Like I, I just did found it appalling at first, but when you experience it, you know, enough your taste buds can, can adapt to it. So it's um, similar with food. So I don't love to use that as kind of an out for people to say Mm -hmm. that, oh, my child must have the bitter gene. And um, because I can guarantee you, my kids probably (laughs) do too, but that, that is all easily, Easily change. And, you know, when you think about vegetables, like trying something like, you know, like kale chips, for instance, right? Kids mm-hmm. love crunch. Or my, cha- my daughter, my eldest, uh, would never like Brussels sprouts were out of the picture. And my other two daughters really liked them. And so then I started doing Brussels sprout chips like just in the oven and guess what? She fights over them. Like tooth and nail, she wants those Brussels. So that is her, was her introduction into that type of vegetable. So just think about the types of foods kids pick eaters tend to gravitate to crunchy foods. So the more you can make a veggie crunchy and it doesn't mean it has to be breaded, uh, that you're going to be, you know, probably further ahead. But I I do want to say that they probably might not try it the first time and that's okay. It doesn't mean it's a fail. It just means that was her first exposure and this is not, was not the time for them. So instead of focusing on eating, focus on interacting with that food in some other way. I love it. Yeah, the try, try,
1: try again. Like you can't just, I've given them carrots once and they don't seem to like it. So do I just stop offering them? Like we're continuing to offer it. We want them to be exposed to it. Yeah, um, and right. now your new placemat, I'm not sure. So the, the placements that we first originally ordered were on recycled paper. We got a stack of them. They were super great. But your new one now is double-sided and it's
2: it, it's um like dry erase right now. Yeah, so yeah, they I can... Actually- yeah, dry, yes, it's right. Dry erase crayons or dry erase um, markers, so it's easily like wipeable. And the, the the thing I did with it was because of the different ages, I wanted something. I wanted to give people kids variety. So the the front side is your food exploration mat, like the the journey that I talked about, that takes them through the different towns. And then the back side is a. Um, is uh, more about understanding balanced meals, which is great for Amazing. older kids so they can color in, okay, these are the foods I'm having from the starches. Here's the foods I'm having from the fats. Oh, oh boy, I don't have anything from the fiber column, right? So it becomes a game for them. And then it's, it's about I'm learning to like foods, right? So it's not like I'm eating right now. Um, And then for the younger kids, they can just color them in. So it works for all age groups. Yeah. And this isn't, you don't have to wait until you have a picky eater. Like you can start this Mm -hmm. at 18,
1: two months, two years old, 18 months, two years old. um, I think I want to order
0: some for myself.
2: Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Go for it. Yeah. I know. I I always get the question um, from parents. Uh, Does this work on my, will this work on my husband? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I have a cousin who will only eat ketchup.
0: So. <laughs> Let's try.
1: Um, so, okay, so we love the placemats. We've, we've, we've declared that, um, but what other resources? I know you have, yeah. you mentioned your picky eat- eating protocol or picky eater protocol and mm-hmm. um, what other programs and resources do you have for families?
2: So it really depends on how parents like to learn, right? So I've got the one-on-one coaching, which is uh, the Thrive program. And that is like a three-month one-on-one coaching program that gives parents a customized plan for them and a food expansion plan. So they know how to expand their child's list and also set them up to have a positive relationship with food for the future. And then there's the Pick Eater Protocol which, um, if parents want to learn more about it, they can watch a webinar, which is a really powerful webinar. You'll walk away, at the very least, you walk away with ten strategies that you can use right away at meals, and that's at DanielleBins.com/webinar. I run that um, fairly frequently, so okay. you can take a look at that. And then there's a different one that I do um, uh, as well throughout the year, a couple times a year. So that's the the course. That's a six week program for parents with pick eaters that um, it's great because it's step-by-step videos that that um, if parents prefer to learn that way, like a do-it-yourself model. And then there's um, a club that I have called the Raising Adventurous Eaters Club. And then that is, uh, I, it's, it's, it's perfect for, as an extension after the Pick Eater Protocol, but some parents- mm-hmm. Kind of have done you know some of the like division of responsibility or have done some of the strategies and they, uh, for a number of years various strategies and they feel like all they need is food expansion plan so in the raising venture cedars club we look at a different food every month and strategies for how to present that to your child in a really compelling Fine. engaging way with recipes to try and so on so that's wow yeah a lot going on over here.
1: <laughs> 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 well, and I'm going to, I'm <laughs> going to connect every, I'm going to link everything into the description of this as well. So um, if you are listening and you want to connect with Danielle, we will have everything and all of those links in the description amazing
2: yeah that's great thank you guys
1: um last very last question how can we connect with you how can our families follow you are you on instagram facebook where are you hanging out most of the time oh my goodness
2: everywhere <laughs> which is why i'm currently hiring um, yeah so uh on yeah instagram danielle bins nutrition you can follow me there There's always okay. you know either a, a recipe or some type of like quick picky eating tip that you can walk away with there's um my blog Daniellebins.com and slash blog. You'll see that there, as well as once you get on my list every week, I'm sending out uh, you know a strategy that I want you to try. Whether it's a mindset shift, whether it's a food recipe, it's it's um people love, tend to love those weekly nudges. I and do. I um, get your newsletter, and I do. Um, oh,
1: do. It's probably oh, one of the only newsletters that I read fairly regularly because um, oh, well, you, you, you so always so have good. great like great little tips and like especially like around the holidays and stuff too because.
2: Yeah, I always I always appreciate your tips. So you've oh, got a good. Great so newsletter. Glad. Oh Pam, I feel like you're my biggest fan. <laughs> <laughs> I really am. I really am. <laughs> I'm yours too. So yeah. So then what um, you know, there's so oh my gosh, so many free resources. And then I'm also I have a Facebook group, so Family Nutrition Forum, um, which is just your place if you have any questions, you want to pop in there and get some support. And um yeah, I'm just starting to build up my Pinterest a little bit more so people have a more visual way of connecting with me.
1: Amazing. Thank you so much, Danielle,
2: for joining us. We
1: so appreciate you taking the time out of your day, especially with three little ones at home, <laughs> taking that time to to uh square away into a little quiet corner and chat with us. We gosh, we appreciate having you.
2: Oh, thank you. It's so nice to uh to see you guys and and be able to uh to arm your your followers with some strategies. So thank you for having me. Well, we're excited thank and I'm sure so they much. appreciate it. <laughs> thank you. you
1: Thanks for joining us on today's episode. We so appreciate that you've taken that time to come and hang out with us and listen to what we have to say. If you are struggling with sleep or parenting, please know that we have loads of free information on the website um, as well as on the YouTube channel. But if after you've read through everything and you've watched those videos, if you're still struggling, know that you're not alone and that we would love to help. So be sure to check out the website www.restfulparenting.com. You'll find the link to book your free 15 minute call right there. And if you have any comments or anything you'd like to share with us, please leave them below in the comments. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks.